KMUW's podcast platform is made possible by High Touch Technologies, a software, technology, and business communications company that provides products, services, and support to all industries. High Touch brings the human touch to technology with a world-class team of industry experts. Learn more at hightouchtechnologies.com. I'm Josh Carey. And I'm Chef Tom Jackson. And you're listening to Cooking with Fire. Today we're going to be cooking up a Canadian classic poutine with a Canadian whiskey-infused gravy. Let's get started. This is Cooking with Fire, a global exploration of barbecue from KMUW. Welcome to Episode 73 of Cooking with Fire. Today we're going to dive into the world of Canadian whiskey. When you're standing in your local liquor store, you will notice that Canadian whiskey takes up significantly less shelf space than its international counterparts. Scotch, Irish, bourbon, and even gin take up more space than Canadian whiskey. It's a relatively small category, but within it you will find an interesting history and a few solid sippers that we'll chat about a little later in the show. Canadian whiskey, unlike the others we have covered, has very few rules. Essentially, it must be distilled and aged in Canada, aged for at least three years in an oak barrel that is no more than 700 liters. The barrel can be used, unused, charred, or uncharred, and the alcohol inside can be as high as 90%. This means that the content is cut down quite a bit to an average of 40% for bottling. So distillers are allowed to use caramel coloring and flavoring in their whiskey. And that's it. No standard mash bill, although they usually contain a majority corn and some rye. Speaking of rye whiskey, in Canada, the term rye whiskey and Canadian whiskey are used interchangeably. The reason is that the original whiskeys made in Canada were almost all completely corn-based. This incredibly sweet and light whiskey didn't have a ton of flavor, and so some distillers started adding small amounts of rye to their mash, and soon people were asking for the rye whiskey. Since there are no mash rules for rye whiskey in Canada, like there is in the U.S. where rye whiskey must contain at least 51% rye, any whiskey made in Canada with at least some rye content can be sold as rye whiskey. While Canadian whiskey commands a smaller part of the market, it was at one time the most popular whiskey in the United States. There are a few reasons for this. First, Canada had its brush with prohibition a few years earlier than the U.S., starting in 1915 and 1916 in many of their provinces. By the time Prohibition took hold in the U.S. in 1920, British Columbia was just a year away from ending their Prohibition with other provinces ending theirs by the mid-20s. But unlike Prohibition in the United States, Canadian distillers were still making whiskey for export, which meant that they could continue to sell whiskey to the U.S. But who was buying all of this whiskey? Al Capone was a central figure during the U.S. Prohibition, and one of his major criminal activities was selling illegal alcohol. But get those images of illegal stills and mountain moonshine out of your head because his number one seller was Canadian Club Whiskey. Canadian Club is distilled in Windsor, Ontario, Canada, right next to Detroit, and Capone would import the whiskey through Detroit and then his enterprise would sell the spirits to various speakeasies and underground bars. By the time Prohibition was repealed in the U.S. in 1933, Canadian Whiskey had a huge chunk of the market and American distilleries were far behind on the aging and bottling of new spirits, so Canadian Club and other Canadian brands were some of the top selling spirits in the U.S. until the 1960s when things started to level off a bit. Now for a few tasting notes. Tom and I have a couple Canadian whiskeys in front of us. 
First up is Crown Royals XO, which is the same whiskey as their standard blend that has been extra aged in cognac barrels. Bottled at 80 proof, it's a decent sipping whiskey that adds some interest to the palate with that additional grape flavor from the cognac barrels. The nose is nice and sweet with vanilla and light caramel coming through. This sugary nose isn't balanced by much else, but a little dark ripe fruit starts to pop out as well. The palate is really soft and smooth, it has a vanilla, a little oak, and then a touch of that cognac grape flavor to round it out. The finish is medium long and has notes of oak and vanilla. Overall, it's a good whiskey that's simply underproofed at 80 proof. At 100 proof, this would likely be a very good whiskey neat. As it is now, it's perfect for the occasional whiskey drinker or in a nice cocktail. Next up is Crown Royal's hand-selected barrel, which was selected by the distributor in Kansas and is only available here, though different select barrels are available all around the country. The reason we went for this bottle was the proof. Canadian whiskey is so often 80 proof that we were interested in this 103 proof whiskey to see if it added any more flavor to what many whiskey drinkers think is a very light and thin pour. The nose is similar to the XO with a lot more grain and oak from the barrels, but it still has that sweet corn smell with hints of vanilla and a little baking chocolate. The palate is still really light for a 103 proof whiskey, though it does have a ton more flavor with molasses, vanilla, corn, oak, and banana all making an appearance. The finish is rather long and has a nice oak and vanilla profile that trails off after a while. Honestly, this is some of the best widely available Canadian whiskey I have had, and I would feel pretty comfortable telling someone to pick up a bottle even at $40 to $45 a piece. Now is the perfect time to cut out to Chef Tom in the ATBBQ.com teaching kitchen and get started on today's recipe. All right, so today we're gonna to be cooking poutine with a brown gravy. But the first thing we're gonna do is fry up some French fries. So I've cut our fries into uh, nice thick steak fries. I've soaked them in some water overnight. That kind of helps get rid of some of that starch, which can kind of gum up your frying oil. And then I've preheated a pot of oil, just regular vegetable oil, on the stovetop to 275. So we're gonna do our frying in two steps today. We're gonna to start with about five minutes at 275, and that's gonna cook the fry all the way through without adding much color to the outside. Then we're gonna take these out of the frying oil, lay them out on a paper towel, and put them into the refrigerator to cool off real quick. And while those cool off, we'll turn the temperature up to 350 degrees. We're just monitoring this with an instant read thermometer. And that's what's gonna give us the nice brown and crisp on the outside. Now, if you skip the two-step frying, what's gonna happen is you're gonna end up with soggy fries every time. So this is really crucial when you're making fries from scratch. All right, we've given these fries five minutes at 275, so I'm gonna pull them out using a slotted spoon or a spider and transfer them to a paper towel lined plate where some of that fat can drain off. And then these are gonna go into the fridge while we increase the heat level on the oil and decrease the heat level on the fries. All right, so now we're gonna put together our gravy and we're doing a brown gravy today, a chicken stock based gravy, but I wanted to add some extra fat and extra flavor and salt. So we're gonna start with some pancetta. So I'm putting two ounces of pancetta into our cast iron skillet. I'm just gonna get a nice bit of brown on here, crisp these up a little bit. All right, so this pancetta has really browned up nicely. A lot of that fat has rendered out and I'm going to now be removing the pancetta from the skillet. We're gonna use that fat in our stock, but for now we're gonna take the pancetta out and we'll add that as a topping on our fries later. So the next thing I'm gonna add to the skillet is a sprig of fresh thyme. And then we're gonna go a little bit lower on the heat here as we add our liquids. As a matter of fact, we're just gonna deglaze this pan with a little bit of our Canadian whiskey. And for that, we want to turn the heat off completely 
Otherwise, this thing will just burst into flames. You can hear the sizzle as soon as it hits the skillet. And if I tip the skillet just enough to catch the flame, turn that back on. It ignites the whiskey, which will eventually burn off the alcohol. So now we can go ahead and add our liquid, which in this case is two cups of chicken stock. And we're gonna bring that up to a simmer. Now the stocks come up to a simmer and we're gonna add our thickening agent so that we can thicken everything up. In this case today, we're using cornstarch just to keep it gluten-free. Uh, you could also make a roux and do flour and butter together ahead of time, um, but this'll work just as well. And we're gonna get all of that great flavor from the pancetta, so I'm not really worried about missing out uh, on the flavor of the butter and the roux. But what I've done is take about two tablespoons of cornstarch, added a couple of tablespoons of water to create this slurry. You wanna use cold water. And then we're gonna add that slowly, pouring it into our stock and whisking. So this immediately starts to thicken our stock into gravy. So that magic of the cornstarch and the heat creates a nice thick gravy for us. But we wanna give this just a little bit of time to cook out any cornstarch flavor that we may have added, as well as just let all of those flavors that we're building in there marry together a little bit longer. So turn the heat down on low. There should be bubbles formed. And just simmer this away for a couple of minutes. Well, the gravy's kind of in a holding pattern, so we're gonna do our second fry on our French fries now. We've got the oil nice and hot. We've got our fries cooled down. There's very little color on the fries so far, so we're gonna add our browning to the fries now. Now at this point in the process, I'm not really concerned about uh, timing how long these cook. It's really just looking for that perfect golden brown color, uh, that perfect doneness, because it, these are cooked all the way through, right? So we're just trying to finish them with a good crisp. And next to our fire, we're gonna have a bowl ready to catch these fries, because as soon as these come out of the hot oil, we're gonna let some of that oil drain off, and then we're just going to toss these in salt so that that salt sticks to the remaining oil to season the fries. And what can be even better here is if you take one of your favorite steak rubs or steak seasonings, put that in a spice grinder and grind it right over the top of the fries as soon as they come off. Adds tons of great flavor. So probably just about a minute, minute and a half that these fries have been in here, but the color's just perfect. So we're gonna go ahead and take them out so using this spider, I can kind of drain off some of that excess oil straight into our mixing bowl, hit it with some salt, and we'll grind on a little bit of steak seasoning. All right, so you want to work in batches if you're doing a lot of fries. Make sure you don't overload your frying oil. It can be really dangerous if that bubbles over. So that's going to be my quick PSA about that. But run a couple batches of fries through. Gravy's chilling out, staying nice and warm. You can go ahead and get rid of that sprig of thyme once your gravy has been simmering for five minutes or so, so we don't need that in there. You wanna taste your gravy, make sure it doesn't need any salt. If it does, go ahead and hit it with some salt, maybe a little bit of black pepper. All right, one finishing touch I'm gonna to put on our gravy here is I'm gonna add just a tablespoon or so of heavy cream while it's still nice and hot. This just adds a bit of richness, a nice body to the gravy. It's optional really, but I like the way it lightens things up a little bit and that creaminess it adds. Well, we're ready to plate up our poutine now. So we're gonna start with a bowl full of our French fries. We're gonna top that off with our white cheese curds, which I've had sitting out at room temperature for the last, oh, 30 to 45 minutes. So they'll melt a little bit as you pour over this hot gravy. So right on top of there, we're going in with our brown gravy. 
just smother the fries and curds. And we'll finish that off with our pancetta right there on top. Nice crispiness, maybe a little bit of fresh thyme. That'll look nice on top as well. It's a little bit of green. Grab a friend, grab a fork, and dig in. That does it for today's episode. Let us know if you cooked this recipe and email us at cookingwithfirepodcast at gmail.com to let us know what else you'd like us to feature on the show. And as always, visit kmuw.org to get the full recipe for this week's cook. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. This allows us to reach more listeners. And join us next time as we explore the world of Korean barbecue.